Oh, well, good morning, church. Man, it's a, it's a beautiful day. It got cold outside. It's beginning to feel a little bit like Christmas. And I want you to know we are so glad uh, that you're here. Again, if it's your first time here, if you've been with us for a few weeks, we want you to know that we are so glad. We're so glad you're here at Riverside, and we hope you'll, found, you'll find what, what so many of us have found, that Riverside really is a place you can call home. It's a family. It's a faith family. Uh, and we're really glad that you're here. For the last couple of weeks, we've, we've been talking about Jesus. And today, we want to talk about him again as we sort of fix our eyes on him. Uh, this, uh, during this, this season. Uh, if you don't know, I, most of you do, but I, I, uh, my wife and I, Alicia, have three children. And this week, our middle child, Ella Grace, who is eight years old, um, got sick. Uh, Tuesday night, I got home from work, and I looked at her, and I was like, eh, you don't look real good, girl. I mean, not like in a, that sounded terrible. Um, she looks sick, uh, you know, runny nose, kind of pale. I was like, let me take your temperature, and sure enough, uh, you know, she had a fever. So I'm like, okay, well, you're, you're going to be home from school tomorrow. And so on Wednesday, Alicia took the day off and stayed home with her. And then Thursday, it was my turn, and so I, I took the day off and stayed home uh, with her. And of course, my plan as, as, as a really good father was, you know, to do everything in my power uh, to help her feel better, which included lots of medicine, you know, uh, lots of snuggles, and lots of Christmas movies. And so I put on my sweatshirt, I got the blankets out, and, uh, you know, we got the medicine going and the fluids going, and I'm like, all right, let's, what are we going to watch first? And so, uh, I don't know about you, but one of our favorite movies at our house, Christmas movies, is, uh, is The Grinch uh, Who Stole Christmas. You know, you know this movie? Uh, it's, it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's been, like, it's one of those movies for a long time at our house that was too scary to watch for our kids, and so they're just now getting to the age where they'll actually watch it and not be under the covers the whole time, because The Grinch is a little spooky. A little scary. And so we're watching the movie, and it's, it's fantastic. I'm trying to convince Ella Grace to let me do her hair like Cindy Lou Who. And so if you know Cindy, she has this beautiful hair, and I really think I could do it. I mean, I've got the ponytail down. This is the next challenge, and I think I could. She wouldn't go for it. Yeah, you see it. She wouldn't go for it. And so, um, so but we watched the movie, and towards the end of the movie, there's a scene, and it's really cool. Uh, you know how the movie goes. Uh, the Grinch comes in uh, the night, uh, Christmas night. And after Santa has come through town, he comes through and he steals all the presents. Worst thing ever, right? And he's sitting on his mountaintop, Whoville, and um, he's just so happy with himself. He's elated that he has ruined Christmas for, for all of Whoville. When all of a sudden, he hears singing coming from the village below. And it's all the little Who's singing a Christmas carol. And he sort of gets just really solemn and he kind of gets really serious and then he has this thought, it may be my, favorite, my, my most favorite quote in the whole movie. It says this, then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. I love that. I caught that. I was like, that's really good, Dr. Seuss. Way to go. <laughs> be a theologian one day. Maybe Christmas is about something more. And, and I think we get this. I mean, right now we're caught up in it because it's Christmas season. It's, you know, what, 10 days of shopping left, whatever it is. It's getting close. And it's, it's all about getting the right gift and spending the, the right amount of money and making sure everybody's covered and we get it all figured out. And we've got the, all the gifts bought for every Christmas party. And then, of course, Christmas Day. And it's, it's, we're caught up in it. And if you're like me, you've got kids my age. Like a, after every commercial break, the list grows, right? <laughs> you know, they see more things that they want. But I think we know. I think we know. Um, we need to be reminded, but I think we know that Christmas is about something more. And it's that something more that, that we're talking about this month. It's that something more that, that we're trying to hone in on and figure out, like, what, it, what is it really about? What does it really mean for us? 
as people who were followers of Jesus. And if you've been tracking with us the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, at the story of Jesus written by a guy named Luke who wanted to give a really accurate firsthand account of the Jesus story. So if you have a Bible or if you have it on your device, if you want to open that up or turn that on and flip over to Luke chapter 2, we want to read this next part of the Jesus story as, as Luke tells it. And again, he is, he's done the homework. He's, he's gone to the eyewitnesses. He's, he's taken all the accounts and he's put together what he thinks is an accurate account of what happened. This is why we believe the story because Luke did the homework to figure out what really happened in the Jesus story. And this is what Luke writes next in Luke 2, verse 1. Luke says this. He says, at the time At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the whole Roman Empire. And this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So again, Luke is giving us not just an account, you know, for the church to read. He's giving an account for the world to read. And he puts this in a historical context. I think it's really interesting. He he, he reminds us that Jesus is born during a time when the people of God are living under Roman oppression. It's not ideal, right? Right? Uh, So so it's the Roman Emperor Augustus, and he decrees that this census is going to be taken while Quirinius is governor. You have all these people in places and times and dates, and it just reminds us that Jesus is born into a time where there's political turmoil. I don't know if you've ever felt political turmoil. Probably not. But, But Jesus was born into a situation where there was political turmoil turmoil and upheaval and people are going to have to move from place to place to be to be counted to be accounted for what's really interesting is by 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 saying this by kind of talking about rome it reminds everybody this is during the time of the roman empire where where caesar ruled and where he counted himself as god and not just god but as a son of god so for jesus for luke for jesus to be born and for him to be the son of god well that just flew right into the face of the culture of Rome and the empire and Caesar and the land and the rule of the day. From the very first moment, Luke is telling us something's happening here and it's going to be big. He continues though in verse 3. So all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And so he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was now expecting a child. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. I think it's really interesting that Luke says that. I don't know if you underline or highlight in your Bible or on your app, but I would, I would highlight these what, four words, while they were there. This is, this is so contrary to how we normally think of the story, I think, because if you're like me, you know, you've seen the story, you've been to the plays where they've reenacted it, or you've watched the movie and the way we always see this or imagine it seems like to me is that, you know, Mary and Joseph are on their way on the donkey, you know, all the way to Bethlehem. And they finally get there. And as they're, as they're getting into town, Mary's going into labor and it's time for the baby to be born. And so they're looking for someplace, any place where Mary can have this, this, this child. And so they go up to the one hotel in town in Bethlehem that hasn't turned off the no vacancy sign yet. And they happen to get the most grumpy employee of the month <laughs> there at the desk saying, there's no room at the end. And so, you know, they, they, they're like, what do we do? And he says, well, you can go out back to the barn. And sure enough, they do. And that's where Mary has this baby right as they enter into Bethlehem. But Luke says, they were there. While they were there, it came time for Mary to give birth to Jesus. And so they've been there. They've been there for a little bit. 
And if this is where Joseph is from, if they've returned here to be counted for the census, it's likely that they're probably staying with some of Joseph's family. If not, then probably other people that they know. Whatever the case, though, I'm guessing that the, the town is overwhelmed with people for the census to be counted. So there's, they're looking for some privacy. They're about to have a baby. And you don't want to do that in a house full of people. So they go looking for a place, a room, a private place where Mary can give birth to her child, to her son. And there's, there's literally no place except for this stable. And because they're so desperate, and you, you, you can understand this, right? They're so desperate for a little bit of privacy in this moment to have this child. They go out back and they find the stable. And this is where Jesus, this is where Jesus is born. Now just put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Think about this. I don't know, a lot of you in here are your parents or you've you know, expected children to be born and you know what this is like. And I mean, I can just imagine Mary and Joseph and Nazareth, they'd been planning and preparing for this. Like they knew, they knew Jesus was coming before he came. I mean, they had like advanced notice, you know. They, this was before ultrasounds. They knew the gender of their child. They, they had it all figured out. They had the name picked out. I mean, before it even happened. You just got to imagine the, the preparation that they'd already been making in their home in Nazareth. They'd be getting the room ready. They'd been, they'd been making plans and getting everything laid out. They had it all figured out. And all of a sudden, this decree comes down. They've got to go to Bethlehem. This is not, this is not the way this was supposed to happen. Come on, God, right? But they go there. And in the middle of what I think you and I would both agree are less than ideal circumstances, God is born. And I think we could probably just push pause right here, and this could be the message for a lot of you today, for me today. Because right now, whatever's going on in your life, it may be that you're in the middle of some less than ideal circumstances. It may be that what's going on in your world, it's just not the way it was supposed to be. But I want to remind you this morning that if, if that's what you're experiencing, if that's what you're living in, if that's what you're going through, that God often comes and enters into your life, our lives, in situations that are less than ideal. And God could have probably done something miraculous here. He probably could have made a way for this to happen differently. But there's no, right here in this part of the story, there's no evidence of God's power. There's no evidence of, 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 of a miraculous act or, or some, something that had happened that, that just indicated God's presence was there. It's very ordinary and very hard and this is how God chooses, chooses to enter into the world. For somebody more important, there would have been made room. If Augustus, if Caesar, if, if Quirinius were having a child, they would have found room. But for Jesus, who may not, not as important, can I say that? There's no room for Jesus to be born. So she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in the manger because there was no lodging available for them. And this, I believe, may be Luke's greatest point. That God, that Jesus was actually born. That the uncontainable God became contained in flesh and bone the size of a baby. That God, who had always been and always would be, would would come and, and live, and he would have to be held. He would have to learn to talk. He would have to learn to walk. He would have to be fed. 
He would have to be cared for. His diapers would have to be changed. He would have to experience human humility and vulnerability and poverty and suffering and weakness in every possible way. For Luke, this is maybe the greatest story ever told because God didn't just move heaven and earth to come for us. God came from heaven to earth for us. And Jesus was born. And when Jesus was born, man, it was it was a gift above every other gift. Uh, I don't know about you, um, this time of year, like, uh, and Alicia's not here so I can tell the story. Uh, she never listens to my sermon, so it's really good. Um, I try as a husband, like this is my big thing. Like I listen all year, I take notes all year. I'm, I'm thinking all year about trying to surprise her on Christmas with a present that, that maybe she hasn't asked for, or she's not expecting, or she's forgotten about something that she may have wanted. And it's a little bit dangerous because you can get this wrong. But there's nothing more fun than when I've, when I've done it, when I've gotten that present and, she, and Christmas morning comes and there's a present under the tree and she literally has no idea what it is. And I don't know if you know my wife, but she's one of the most fun people to watch open any present, whatever it is. She's just, her face glows, she lights up. She's like, you know, four-year-olds all over again. And, um, but when I do this and, and it works and it's something that she really likes and really wanted, there's no more joy for me than, than, than thinking and realizing and experiencing that I've given her like the, the most unexpected but perfect gift. And Luke says, what happens when, when Jesus is born is that God has given us, humanity, the people of the world, the greatest, most, uh, he is the holy, unexpected one. This is the perfect gift from God the Father. It's himself. It is Jesus. And when Jesus was born, literally every, everything changed. When I was thinking about this this week, I, I, I just began to write this down. I journaled this again this morning. I, I want to share this with you. Think about, think about what happened when, when he was born. When Jesus was born, peace, shalom, came into the world. The sick were healed, the hungry were fed, the dead were raised. Grace became tangible, faith became sight, mercy became touchable, forgiveness became watchable, healing became possible, love became understandable, light became discernible, wrongs became reversible, right became relatable, hope became possible. The cross became a beacon, death became defeated, the grave became empty, life became eternal because God became a man. That's what happened when Jesus was born, but I'm telling you, that's only half the story. That's only half the story. Because when Jesus came, something, something had to change. God can't come from heaven to earth and nothing change. You get this, right? Sometimes I think we live as if nothing has changed. I'll be honest, sometimes I think we worship like nothing has changed. But God cannot come from heaven to earth and nothing change. And what I want to suggest to you this morning that, that the thing that has changed, that what has changed, that what changed when God came from heaven to earth, when Jesus was born, that something that was changed was you. It was me. Think about it. When Mary was, when Mary gave birth to Jesus, when Christ was born to Mary, Everything changed for her. Everything. And when Christ is born in you and me, something has to change. Actually, everything has to change for you and for me as well. So the question I want you to wrestle with this morning is, has Christ been born to you? That may sound like an odd question, but I want you to wrestle with it. We talk about this, about what it means to be born again. And it's a crazy concept. I know it doesn't make any sense in the world that we live in. In fact, the first time Jesus told a man he had to be born again, the guy thought he was crazy. 
You can read about him in John 3. His name was Nicodemus, and he was a spiritual guru. He was a godly leader. And, and Jesus told Nicodemus, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you got to be born again. He was like, what are you talking about? you got to be born again. Christ has to be born in you. You have to experience this life, this new life. Uh, we've talked about this before. You may remember the show. We, I've mentioned it, the, the old show, uh, Extreme Home, uh, Makeover Home Edition, where they come in and, and, and this team comes in to help this family who needs, who needs a home you know, fixed up or whatever, but they never fixed up the home. They, they sent the family on vacation. They brought in bulldozers and knocked the old house down and built a brand new house for this family. That's what God wants to do in you and for you. He wants the old you to die so the new you can be born. Some of us, we we live like we want Jesus to be our fixer. And we pray to him when we're in trouble and we call on him when we need him and keep doing that. That's good. That's holy. That's right. But if Jesus is just your fixer, you're missing out because Jesus is not a fixer. He's not a holy handyman. You get that, right? He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. He came to make all things right and all things new. That's what he's always been trying to do, is to set the world right again. That's what we're trying to do as a church when we come together, is for things to be in here as they are in heaven, to make things right, to make things the way they ought to be, to make things the way that they are going to be and are already in heaven. Jesus isn't a fixer. He's not a holy handyman. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. And what has to change, what has to change is us. He wants to come in and he wants the old, he wants the old Corey to die. And he wants a new Corey to live. He wants the old you to die. And he wants a new you to live. And you can tell can't you? You can tell if Jesus is your fixture or if Jesus is your redeemer. You can tell. The evidence of your life reveals it. Paul would say it this way. He would say, when Christ is in you, when the Holy Spirit is in you, when when one-third of God lives inside of you, that you experience love and joy, and peace, and patience, and goodness, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control. Like this is what happens. This is what happens when you enter into these waters of baptism and you step down into what is a watery grave and the old you die and the, the new you is born again. This is what happens. And maybe some of you today, the next step for you, maybe you've never done this, but this is the next step that you, you need to let Christ be born in you. Like, that needs to happen. You need to invite him to come and, and to, to, to live in you, to reside in you, to be in you, to abide in you. And let everything change in you as he's born. As Christ comes inside and lives inside and takes up residence inside your body, inside your bones, as he begins to live this kingdom way of living that we've been talking so much about inside and through you. Some of us, how do you say this? We need to be born again, again, right? Not that we need to be rebaptized necessarily, but you know what we need is we need to start living life in light of our baptism. 
We need to start remembering what it means to be born again. And what happens when we as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, as people who have, who have claimed to step into these waters and out of these waters and been forever changed, to live as if we have been forever changed. So that, yeah, love becomes our first response. Peace becomes our posture. Patience becomes our default demeanor. Joy becomes the characteristic of our life. If I were to ask your family or your coworkers or your closest friends to describe you, would they use any of these words? Yeah, John, he's, he's, he's full of peace. He's, he's the happiest person I know. It didn't always go his way, but there's just joy about him. Yeah, Cindy, man, she's just kind as the day is long. Are these the words that people that are around us, are these the words they use to describe us? Because if they are, that's the evidence. That's the evidence that Christ has been born in you, that you too, for you too, everything has changed. When Christ was born to Mary, everything changed. When Christ is born in us, everything changes too. When Jesus came, something had to change. And that something that changes is you and me. Church, if you would, stand with me. You know, on Thursday when my daughter was homesick, I could have sat a bottle of Tylenol on the counter and a box of Cheerios and said, hope you feel better, bye. I probably would have been arrested for that. I don't know. Likely. That would not have been what a good father would have done. But I did what any father in the room would have done, right? I saw my daughter. I saw her in her sickness in her frailty, in her pain, in her washed out face, in her runny nose. And I put on my sweatshirt and got on the couch and held her close. When God looked down from heaven, and he saw you and he saw me, there's probably a hundred different ways he could have done this. But what he chose to do was to put on flesh and to come here because he saw you and he saw me in your weakness and my weakness, in your frailty and my frailty, in your sin and my sin. He saw us and he loved us. He loves us just as we are. And it seems impossible. We just sing it. It's gloriously impossible that this would ever happen. We couldn't make this stuff up. But he saw us. And in his love and in his compassion, he came and he was born. And he walked the earth and he walked among us. And he showed us what it's like. He told us what it's like, what his father is like. When he died, he died. He experienced death. And then he was raised again. This is what we believe. Church, this is what we believe. And what I want for you is to experience what Mary experienced. What I want for you is to experience what everyone experiences who encounters the risen Jesus. I want for us, for everything to change.
for everything to change. So we're going to sing a song, and our elders are going to make their way around the room, and they'll make their way in the audience too if they need to. And they want to pray with you if they know that there's a need in your family or in your life. And if you have a need, feel free to go join one of them and put your hand on their shoulder, and they'll pray with you as well. If you want Christ to be born in you, man, we'd love to talk about that today, and we'd love to see you be baptized, step into the waters, and walk out a brand new person. Or maybe you want to start living life out of your baptism, out of the reality that Christ has been born in you, and that because of that, everything has to change. My prayer this week is that everything would change for us because Christ was born and because Christ is born in us. Let's sing.